Greetings all, I'm Robert Castanello, President of our United Faculty of Florida Chapter at UCF. If you do not know me, I'm an Associate Professor of History at UCF. I want to thank you for listening to my UFF UCF State of the Union Address. Normally, the President of our Chapter would give this address in person, but with the pandemic and many of us still working remotely, I decided to give this address in audio format. I hope the next year at this time, we can safely return to campus and I will give this address in person. What you will hear on this audio podcast is a short State of the Union address, followed by a conversation with Beatrice Reyes Foster, our Vice President. With that conversation, we will address the questions we received from many of you about the Union. For those of you who remember the campaign from the summer of 2020, we offered ourselves as a leadership team, which not only included Beatrice and me, but also Jonathan Beaver as treasurer, Mike Armato as secretary. We ran as a slate of candidates and we governed our union in a collaborative and cooperative manner, along with the senators and alternative senators who make up the council. We've provided the space for our union leadership to unite and work on common goals to advance our collective interests, whether it be negotiating a new collective bargaining agreement, representing individuals or our chapter and grievances, or publicly addressing the concerns that matter to you the most. Additionally, we also promise to listen to you and communicate with you regularly. We have achieved these goals. We promised in our platform a larger bargaining and grievance team to represent you. Since we took office on September 1st, we rebuilt our grievance team with representatives who boast years of experience over the last decade in grievance. Our bargaining team has grown to meet the challenges of negotiating a new collective bargaining agreement. In that time, We bargained a 1,201 time payment during the middle of the pandemic when all we were told was to be prepared for budget cuts. We negotiated a COVID MOU for the spring and summer of 2021 that will allow tenure track faculty to apply for a tenure clock extension on a case by case basis and recognize the impact the pandemic has had on our research productivity teaching evaluations. We also won an unfair labor practice decision by the Public Employee Relations Committee, or PERC, against UCF. And we won a chapter grievance against individual colleges within UCF that created conflict of interest policies, which violated the terms of our CBA. I offer this as evidence that our union is working for you. I would like to shift gears now and offer what initiatives are in the works to strengthen our union. Our union has 1,641 members in the bargaining unit. This is everyone we represent. We have 508 union members, which gives us a membership density of roughly 31%. I'm recording this while the Florida legislature is still in session, and both chambers are considering legislation that will require 50% density for our union to remain the bargaining agent for all the people we represent. If this legislation passes, and should we remain below 50%, we will no longer have a collective bargaining agreement and all the rights we have preserved and gained 
over the decades will be gone. So membership is an important question to me and your leadership team. It should also be an important question to you as well. If you like the rights and protections the CBA offers you, imagine a work life where they're gone. We have launched a membership project to increase our numbers. The health and stability of our union requires us to grow to a safe and sustained number of members. Also this summer, we'll be planning to install and implement a steward program for our chapter. What this means is in every unit, in every college or division, we will have a person designated as the steward of that unit. The union will be coming to you on the local level. This will be a person you can go to and ask questions, provide feedback, and have a local presence to assist you. We're going to start with the College of Arts and Humanities and then build a steward structure in each college or division soon after. The membership project along with the steward program will build a stronger union. We'll create an infrastructure that will bring new people into union leadership, into bargaining, and into grievance that will secure our future in a way our union has not been in recent memory. I can say for certain the state of the union is stronger than when I assumed office on September 1st, 2020. And we in the leadership team are planning to make a much stronger union for you for the years to come. Thank you for listening to the State of the Union Address. Please reach out to me at president at uffucf.org if you have questions, concerns, or want to be involved in building a stronger union with us. Okay, now in this audio State of the Union address, uh, I asked Beatrice Reyes Foster to join me. Beatrice, would you mind introducing yourself to anyone who may not know you? Um, yeah, of course. Uh, so my name is Beatrice Reyes Foster, and I am the vice president of our um, UFF UCF chapter. I'm also an associate professor of anthropology um, in the College of Scientists. Great, great. And so I want to acknowledge, because I haven't done so yet, that our we're recording this the last week of April, but our plan is to release it on May 1st, which is May Day. And of course, May 1st is um, a holiday for unions and labor people to recognize the uh, Chicago Haymarket Square bombing. But what's interesting, and Beatrice, maybe you can share your uh, insight on this, is that May Day is actually more popular outside the United States than it is in the United States. Um, you know, it's really funny that you should say that because it's definitely a, a very important day in, in Mexico. It's a national holiday um, and, and it's understood as a labor related holiday. So, so Beatrice, will you join me to encourage everyone listening to this, if they're listening to this on May 1st, that they go out and do something to celebrate, right? Acknowledge the, uh, the cause of labor today. Absolutely. 
All right, great, great. Um, so one of the things, I, and I believe I mentioned this in, in my address, and I just want to reiterate this while you're here, is that one of the things that we did uh, running for office is to run as a slate and to speak in the terms of we as opposed to I. And I think that's one of the things we brought to the union um, that certainly was was different from years previous, the idea of that uh, there's a team involved as opposed to an, to an individual person, because I think usually presidents um, in our chapter have been identified um, more so with union leadership than the entire team. And so we've made it a real conscious effort from time to time to speak in, in we terms. And so Beatrice, I ask you, how, how do you feel about that? Do you think we've been successful in that regard? I think we have. I think that um, we, one of the things that I really thought about when making the decision whether or not to become involved in, in union leadership was um, making sure that, you know, the giant amount of work that comes with it was was distributed, right? Because um, I, I'm sure you've heard me say this many times, Robert, you know, many, many hands make light work. And, um, and making sure that that everyone could do a little bit and could do what they could manage in a way that we could be productive and move our agenda forward was really important. And I think that we've done that. I think we have a phenomenal team, not just uh, within our executive, of course, with Jonathan and Mike, but also looking at, um, at grievances and bargaining in our council. I mean, we have we have a, a newly energized council. We have met quorum all at all but one meeting this year, which is amazing. I've served on council in the past, and um, there was a period of time where uh, we where we very rarely met quorum at our meetings, and then that quorum is was an attendance of at least twenty one people present. And so, I think that that is really amazing, um, especially kind of seeing that it's carried through the entire academic year and we still have an energized council that's involved in dis different aspects of, of leading our union. Um, we also have energized the unit more broadly speaking. We, we had an historic turnout for the ratification for Article 23. We had over 500 people vote. Um, that's never happened even even when we've had in-person elections. We've never had that many people vote in an election. So I think it's really it's really quite remarkable and, and it's very encouraging to see, especially as we head into um, you know the, the critical post, well not even post-pandemic, but whatever we want to call this this coming period of time where we are supposed to be getting back into some sort of normality, but really we're facing all kinds of challenges. We're going to need everyone to, um, to really maintain this level of engagement. Right. I mean, that's an important thing you just said, right? We took over during a pandemic, right? And then not the most optimal of circumstances. Um, Absolutely. No, the most, the most uncertain of times, right? And, and when we were hearing all kinds of rumblings, looking at our, at our sister institutions and seeing layoffs and furloughs and, and all kinds of really scary things happening. Um, and and we, we kind of jumped in. And, and what I'm very grateful for is that we've maintained this energy and we've maintained the teamwork. And I think a lot of that comes from... Um, not overloading anybody with too many things to do. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I think another thing, and this is sort of where, where we started, but for me being president, I think the, the greatest asset I have is you all. And I mean, the officers, the grievance team, bargaining team and council. And I, and I think Beatrice, probably more than anybody else, you know this, I always come to you with an email and say, Beatrice, this is what I'm thinking about, what, you know, what's your opinion on this? So I, I never make a decision without consulting uh, several people, if not, you know, sometimes council itself. And I think that that's what makes good leadership, right? Is, is an ability to listen and know your own limitations and knowing when to seek out counsel um, and knowing, you know, knowing to balance that. I think, I think it's really important and it's what has kept, I think, um, what has kept up um, the engagement and the interest from, from the unit and from our council and our leadership team. I think that we really are uh, a team. And we, we do many things as a team. Right, right. Great, great. Okay, so one of the things we thought would be interesting was to ask um, the bargaining unit if they had any questions for us. And we got four questions, very different questions. I don't think <laughs> there was any common ground um, in between uh, these four questions. But they're all, and they're all challenging questions. I mean, I think, uh, you know, you and I both had to kind of think about the answers to these. And so let's go over each question and um, share our thoughts. Um, and I, I don't know that we're going to have answers to sure. all these questions, but we'll certainly address them as best we can, right? Definitely, definitely. Um, and so here's question one. How is the union representing in-unit A&P staff? So this question to me was the hardest of the four because I had no idea what AP, in-unit A&P staff was, right? So I actually asked UCF to give me the, the information on who these people are. And I actually, all I got were names. So I had to actually look up everybody in the UCF directory and kind of look at where they were and what they were doing. And so um, I actually had to do work for this question, uh, at least more work than any of the other ones. And so there are roughly, there are exactly uh, 42 people who in the bargaining unit who are in this category of in-unit A&P. Um, now, Robert, can you tell us what A&P stands for, um, for for those of us who might not know? You know what? I, I don't know. I'd have to look at the CBA. You've thrown me, uh, Beatrice. But, <laughs> but, um, but A&P is sort of a staff designation, but I'm not 100% certain. Um, like I know adjuncts are A&P, right? They are not. No, they're OPS, they're I believe. See, your president doesn't know everything. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure on, on that. I think we're going to be doing... Okay, so A and P stands for administrative and professional. Okay. Administrative okay, okay. and professional. Right. So if you look in the CBA and you look at Appendix A, there's a list of everyone who is covered in the bargaining unit. So uh, the people who are, who are in unit A and P have the designation of things like uh, specialist in music, um, psychiatrist, physician's assistant, and a variety of these, these sort of things that are at the bottom of that list. Um, and so these are people who don't, I guess, you know, are, are a little bit miscellaneous maybe because we all think um, that um, 
the bargaining unit is made up of people who are in the classroom, right? And that's not certainly not true because we have librarians, we have people in CDL. And so here's another group of people who are not, um, not don't fit nicely into the um, classroom cl category, if you think of it in those terms. So we really have to think beyond the classroom when we think of the bargaining unit. And, and these specific workers um, in unit A and P are typified that in a lot of ways. So, the so how question, do we represent them? How do we represent them, <laughs> right, right. So I think one way is to understand who they are, right? So I think we're getting that now. And I think if I didn't get this question, I would have no idea that they existed. So I'm glad this, whoever submitted that question um, gave it to me. Um, and so one of the things I think we have to think about is, you know, what are they getting out of the CBA? So there are some protections in the CBA that would cover them, right? things like about uh, their termination, their discipline, so on and so forth. But there are other things in the um, CBA that won't apply to them, things like awards, incentive awards specifically, you know. And so over the years, this has become a problem with, with people, especially, you know, people in the library, you know, people in CDL who are in the bargaining unit but don't get access to awards. And I know over the years, we've, we've tried to address those two groups of people in the bargaining unit with awards. And I think maybe we have to think about this, you know, and the, and the, and the problem here is that the people who make up the in-unit A&P come from such diverse career backgrounds. It's hard to kind of think about an all-encompassing award that would, you know, kind of merit um, inclusion of everyone in the group. But I think that might be something we have to think about. The other thing I'd, I, I plan to do after this you know, after this address um, is maybe setting up a town hall or a conversation with the in-unit A&P. Because again, I have no that idea. That is exactly what, what I was going to say. Yes. Yeah. That's, and that's so exactly what I thought is like, let's do a town hall and bring the, yeah. the you know, A&P employees um, together. Right. Um, and, and just, you know, if you are A&P and you're listening to this, Thank you, um, because I think that very often people, people who do, who are not, uh, classroom faculty can feel alienated from the union, and I would ask, it, you know, please get involved. Please join us in, you know, join us in bargaining. Join us, join us, um, you know, attend a council meeting. Just learn about what we're doing and, and make your voice heard um, so that we can, can get a better sense of what your interests are and how we can best represent you. And I also, Robert, wanted to point out, because I think we often forget not just AMP staff, but also the creative school teachers, the preschool teachers, they are part of our unit too. And they're in the classroom, but not in the way we usually think, right? And they also have uh, particular interests and needs. And so, you know, please, um, we, we want everyone that is a member of our unit to benefit from being part of a unit, right? Being part of the union, um, it can help us with maintaining higher salaries, with better protections. And so if you are in unit um, and, and you are not kind of a quote unquote traditional faculty member, um, please join us and, and, and let us get to know more about your priorities. Mm -hmm. So this is, this, is the, this is the UFF promise. Those of you who are in unit a &P staff, I have your names, I have your emails. I will be emailing you because I want to have that conversation and we want to have that conversation. So you will be hearing from us. Great. Um, 
All right, so let's move on to question two. Um, are you good or should we, are we? Yeah, no, no, I think that's, to... yeah, let's move on to question two. Very good. Um, so question two, is there anything currently being done about offering an incentive, for instance, salary compensation or course load decrease for faculty who are program coordinators? It seems like the university is getting extra work out of coordinators without true compensation, as some colleges state that those responsibilities fall under service. I'm, I'm going to guess. I'm going. I'm, I'm using my, I'm, I'm, I'm using my mental powers here, and I'm going to guess that Beatrice, you and I both agree with this statement. Um, <laughs> you know, I thought it was really interesting because it's news to me that that there are people out there who are coordinating programs who are not being compensated. I am graduate coordinator in my department and I actually have a two course load production and I also receive a summer stipend to do my work. And so, which of course makes me extremely happy to be a graduate coordinator because I, I tremendously enjoy the work and it does take up all that time. If I didn't have those buyouts, I don't really know how I would have time to right. to coordinate our MA and PhD programs. So, so right. So I know from the bargaining town halls we have hosted and from emails I've gotten personally that there are some people who fit the description um, from this question who are wow. put in these positions with the compensation being that is a, a service um, you know. No, I am service. so sorry to hear that all. That's terrible. That's terrible. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of this just has to has to come to us, I think. So, um, you know, uh, there are parts of the CBA that cover assignments, right, and appointments mm -hmm. and things like this. And ideally, you know, Beatrice, you're right. Like, if one is a coordinator, director, what have you, there should be some compensation, even if it's in the form of course release, right? Absolutely. But has as I understand from emails I've gotten and from comments that were made in town halls, I don't want to mention any specific names or units here, um, that uh, there are some people who fit the description of, you know, not being compensated, but being expected that this is a service um, that is done to the unit. And so my recommendation would be to have a, you know, if you're in this category and you are um, experiencing this, the CBA shouldn't, you know, shouldn't allow for um, non-compensation of assignment. There's actually very specific things in the CBA, you know, and we've mentioned this in the town hall and I've mentioned this in the emails to folks, but um, if you feel that you are doing um, work in the, in the capacity of a coordinator or director or what have you, assistant director maybe even, um, and it is being regarded only as service, but you're not getting some compensation in the form of, of course releases or salary compensation, um, reach out to us, reach out to the union, reach out to me, um, you know, and we could look at it in grievance because you know, this could be a CBA violation. I mean, and we certainly, you know, one of the one of the drawbacks with, C, with CBA violations and grievances, of course, is that you only have 30 days to grieve. So if you've been coordinating for a longer period than 30 days, then 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 grievances are not necessarily um, helpful. However, 
this is something where, you know, it points to a need to strengthen our language in the CBA. And of course, coincidentally, we are bargaining our collective bargaining agreement right now. So this is a good opportunity for us to strengthen the language of our collective bargaining agreement so that people are not working, are not working uh, without being paid. Um, and also, uh, perhaps something that we can pick up in um, consultation. Sure. And not, only, some... and not only that, Beatrice, but we can actually have conversations with your college, your division, your unit. Um, and this has happened sure. in the past um, when there was something that went beyond the violation time. So, you know, Beatrice had mentioned, you know, you only have a certain window to file a grievance, right? And if it goes beyond that time, you can't file a grievance. But that doesn't stop the grievance team from having a conversation with your supervisor, mm -hmm. you know, with your dean or director or what have you, and say that, hey, you know, maybe we need to to rethink this. And we've been successful in the past, at least I've witnessed success in yeah, going out to the, you know, going out to the college level, going out to the unit level, and just having that conversation and rectifying that situation. So yeah, sometimes um, you don't need to go through the legal process of, of a grievance to get resolution, um, where the union can act on your behalf to try and, and find some resolution to something that's unfair. Right. So if, if this question description describes your situation, contact us. All right, well, let's move on to question three. It is a huge waste of effort for me and everyone else to include mandatory university syllabus statements in my syllabus for every class I teach. It would be better if the university could make a single web page valid for one whole semester where they put all of their mandatory statements. Then I can include a single link to it on my syllabus. Not really a question, but still important. Okay. Certainly uh, important. What do you think, Robert? Well, I happen to uh, agree with this. On one level, I don't know, uh, I don't know how you do this with your syllabus, Beatrice, but for me, you know, I copy and paste it one semester, and then if they change something on there, I have whatever was valid the point I copy and paste it. So I think a link would be a huge improvement to whatever it is we're doing now. The problem with the, with the statement, obviously, is, is it's not really something in our purview, right? We don't you know, I don't know that this, uh, the syllabus is a CBA. Um, I mean, it's not, I don't think it's a CBA, but again, kind of going back to the, the idea of consultation. So for those of you who are not aware of what consultation is, we have a right to meet with uh, the provost or a provost representative every semester to discuss concerns that are not grievances and not subject to collective, collective bargaining. And so in the past, we've been successful in uh, actually getting our our faculty more parking spots. And I don't think we actually got credit for that. Um, you know, so, so those kinds of things are things that we can bring to consultation. Concerns that fall, that, that affect our, our, our membership, that fall outside the purview of collective bargaining. And so this is another example of something that I would consider bringing to provost consultation and kind of bringing up as a, you know, this is, a, this is kind of a big inconvenience and maybe there's a better way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Right. And we could also meet with the president of consultation, not the provost. Yeah, not just it's, the provost, but the it's president. The pres well. It's the president down. So actually with this, I mean, we could actually meet with someone, I don't know who's, who's in charge of, you know, the syllabus regulations, but whoever is in charge of that office, we could ask to meet with them because usually when we do a consultation, the question is, who do you want to meet with? And so we have to say, we want to meet with this person or that person in charge of this. So yeah, this and is- very, yeah. And very often, not always, but very often, 
there is there is there's you know we get we reach productive solutions so i think what you're saying here uh beatrice is if there's something that concerns you and it's not part of the cba bring it up to us right there might be something we can do about that i i yes absolutely right and so the the syllabus thing is not necessarily outside of our wheelhouse Okay, um, now to our last question. Question four. Um, what can the leadership do to make university leadership, all of it, uh, less Anglo-white? Right, so I have, a, I have an answer. I, I know what, what you wanted to talk about. So I'll let you talk first because you wanted to bring up the racism MOU. So let's talk about that first and then some other ideas. Well, I mean, I just kind of wanted to, to bring it to people's attention that that our bargaining team um, did succeed in negotiating a uh, and race and racism MOU where um, these kinds of concerns um, are discussed and where the university um, and the union kind of reached an agreement to work on work towards um, finding solutions to make UCF uh, more inclusive and diverse um, as a whole. Go ahead, Robert, though. Right, so there, there was that, and there, I think there was some you know, discussion in there about um, you know, staffing and employing people diversity, right, in the MOU. Yeah. You know, one thing I, I've been thinking about uh, this week, I met with our um, bargaining chair and chief negotiator, Talat Rahman, and I think she's great, she's incredible. Um, I admired her before I even ran for office because I knew about her. Um, you know, and she was a Pegasus professor. She was chair of the physics department. So, I mean, she had a reputation I knew about and I was excited, you know, when I learned she was involved with the union because then I had a chance to talk to her and meet her and, you know, uh, get to know her. And so, um, you know, in her capacity as um, bargaining chair and chief negotiator, you know, she interfaces with the UCF administration. She's our, she's our your chapter's top official you know, meeting with UCF's top officials, right? Um, over the bargaining table. And, you know, I was talking to her yesterday and, you know, we were just kind of updating each other on what was going on. And I was just thinking to myself, oh my God, I learned so much from Talat, just, you know, learning about being a leader, being a great leader, just having access to her, to see her work, talk to her, you know, cause I know, you know, her philosophy and, and her, um, you know, the way she, she acts as a leader is very different from mine, you know, and at first I was, I was sort of thinking, you know, wh what, you know, it, I was kind of curious about it. I said, oh, you know, Talat doesn't really kind of respond to things the way that I do, but, you know, watching her, I learned, you know, what the, you know, what her method is and, and what, you know, how she achieves her goals in a very different way than I do. And it sort of opened me up to say, wow, you know, this is, I'm getting, I'm getting a first class education on leadership just from working, you know, just from working, knowing and talking with Talat. And I would like to think that since we put these people in the field to engage with UCF um, administrators, maybe they're learning too. Maybe they're seeing success being done by our diversity in chapter leadership. And I would hope they would think, well, this is obviously working for the, for the chapter, working for the union. 
maybe that will work for us. And so that's sort of the soft politics of trying to encourage UCF to be a more diverse, um, have a more diverse leadership, let's say. And I think it's important to, to create um, environments where people feel, um, feel welcome, right? And, and creating inclusive, inclusive environments. Um, and, you know, and of course, when you talk about leadership, um, you're not just talking about the, the executive, um, but rather you're talking about counsel as well, and um, as well as bargaining and grievances, right? So, so leadership in this instance is pretty broadly defined. Mm-hmm. And not to mention you, Beatrice, you're a leader, right? You're, you're out there. I'm, I'm happy to be <laughs> part, of, uh, part of union leadership. Happy yeah. to be here. And we, you know, on council too, we talk about this, don't we, Beatrice? Mm-hmm. I mean, when we're yeah. talking about like, how are we going to build a, a committee? How are we going to select a chair? How are we going to, even course releases, right? We, we talk about, are we representing everybody? And we exactly. have that conversation explicitly. We don't make it public, obviously, um, but we do have those conversations behind the scenes. We do, yes. Okay, that concludes our, uh, our questions. Uh, Beatrice, do you have anything else you might wanna say to our members? Did, I, how about this? this is, I wanted us to do this earlier, but I forgot about it. Is there anybody you wanna shout out to? Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, uh, obviously Mike and Jonathan are, um, are a really uh, wonderful uh, you know, team to work with and and just the all of the great people on council, thank you for showing up. Um, I think it's it has really um, it has really made a, a big impact. I think on on our ability to get work done. Okay, I have a shout out if you if you'll indulge. Yeah, me. go for it. So my shout out is a little bit uh, self serving, but um, I want to do a shout out to uh, Lisa Mills who um, is a friend, a colleague, a collaborator. Her and I uh, make, uh, have made a series of films through the Honors College. But the reason I wanna shout out to Lisa Mills is this semester she was promoted to full professor. And so I oh. want to acknowledge that. Yeah, want to acknowledge Congratulations, that. Congratulations, Lisa, that's great. Yeah, we, you know, you and I, ongoing conversations about the barriers there are to women at UCF becoming full. So let's uh, congratulate Lisa on becoming a, uh, a full professor of this body and have a, have, a, have a continuing discussion about the ways in which we can create opportunities for more people, more women to become um, full professors, more people of color to become full professors. And that is a great conversation to, to have, absolutely, especially when we look at the, co- the, the coach survey results and the, the fact that our uh, associate professor, our women associate professors um, are, are, have some very low job satisfaction at UCF. And so that's, um, you know, there's, there's definitely some barriers here and there's definitely some, some you know, there is room for this conversation and we, we should take it up. So that's great. Yes, this will, uh, conversation we will, we will have at a later date or maybe a continued conversation, right? Absolutely. Well, thank you, Beatrice. I appreciate you joining me. Thank you for, thank you for inviting me to do this with you, Robert. It was a lot of fun. I kind of feel like this should be how, how yeah. we do um, the presidential address because 
not everybody goes to council meetings, right? And in the past, this, this State of the Union was delivered at council meetings. And I think that, you know, the more that our broader membership knows about who we are and what we're doing, the more they're likely to, to want to get involved. And, you know, that's what I would say to whoever is listening. Your union is working hard for you. You don't have to commit a ton of resources or a ton of time to, to be part of it. And it's a great way to make your voice heard. Um, so please consider get involved with USF. Yeah. All right. So I'm definitely inviting you next year to the State of the Union Address, Beatrice. <laughs> I'll be there. Fantastic. All right. Thank you, everyone. Have a great May Day, even if it is not May 1st, whatever day it is, even if it's in July and you're listening to this. Celebrate May Day. Goodbye. <laughs>